This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey everybody, this is Scott Gohan from Thin Lizzy and you're listening to Jay Scott and the Hook Rock. Hope everyone is doing well. I am, of course, your host, Jay Scott, and this is the Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast, part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Check out Pantheon Podcast at pantheonpodcast.com. Follow them on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Pantheon Pods. Check out all the great podcasts that are on the platform. There is something for everyone, a lot of different music genres, and Interesting music commentary to be had by all of the podcasts that are on there, like Decibel Geek. You can also hear Shout Out Loudcast, the great number one rated KISS podcast in the world with Tom and Zeus. Great guys, great podcast. Um, they're doing extremely well. And uh, 
Really happy to be associated with them. Of course, we do our Led Zeppelin Chronicles, and we'll be doing Led Zeppelin 2 coming up here by the end of March. So look for that. Also, just had Ron and Esty on, local Chicago promoter who uh, does a podcast called Hanging and Banging with Carmen Apice, who was a former guest, as well as his brother, Vinny Apice. Check out Martin Popoff, the rock historian, as well as Mistress Carrie and Baco on Cobras and Fire. Uh, so check them out. Also, check out The Hook Rocks wherever you podcast on every podcast platform. Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Google, you name it, we are on it. Set your app to automatic download. Please write us a review. Let us know what you think. We always enjoy the feedback, telling us how great we are, of course. Everybody loves that. And also what you'd like to see us work on, what you'd like to see us get better at. So please write us a review. We do appreciate it. And uh, if you have the time, uh, please uh, please let us know what you think. We've had some great episodes here over the last couple months. To start off 2021, we started off with the great album reviews of 2020, our top 30 album reviews, me and Chris Corradetti, who is... Uh, a frequent contributor here to the Hook Rocks. We had so many different contributors that we did a two-part series, almost six hours of conversation with over 160 albums talked about. So if you need to know where new music is and where it's at, don't say that there's no good rock music because there certainly is. We cover everything from the legacy artists like Iron Maiden and Dee Snyder and unknowns like the age of truth and bands like gosh what was the name of the band green lung i want to say and so many other great bands that are emerging and and sometimes just local to certain areas too as well whether it's philadelphia like age of truth or whether it's switzerland or sweden for some of these other bands that may not uh, be on the tip of your tongue or in your headspace yet so check that out as well as great emerging bands like joyous wolf well joyous wolf didn't really release anything last year but we talk about them a lot but great new bands too as well or emerging bands like greta van fleet who has arrived um mammoth dirty honey so many bands the dust coda so we talked about a lot so check that out we always enjoy your feedback on those we had a also great interview with scott gorham a short time ago talking about Thin Lizzy and putting together a collection of musicians that will be touring under Thin Lizzy, paying tribute to the great band, paying tribute to Phil Lynott, uh, as well as you know the great music that everybody knows and, and enjoys from the band. The band is so much more than the boys are back in town. So check out the Hook Rocks playlist on Spotify featuring 50 songs of Thin Lizzy. So please, uh, please give yourself uh, some time to listen to that may take you a while. We also have had some great new music spotlights with Joyous Wolf, Georgia Thunderbolts, The Warning, Gold Thread, Seven Year Witch, South of Eden, Scarlet Rebels. We also did a great preview of the new Goodbye June album, which is out by now. Go get that album. See where the night goes. That's a great, great album for a band that had to put things on pause, of course, because of the pandemic. And also, don't forget to great music commentary. We had Christine Eagle on talking about live streaming and where the future is on that, the, the live concert revenue in the fourth quarter of 2021, and where things are headed with live music. So much more to get to, so much more to talk about, 
So go check out all those episodes and more on The Hook Rocks. And we've got another fantastic episode, as I always say. All our episodes are fantastic, in my opinion. You know him from the conversations we had about the best quality streaming services. We did one before Christmas on the right ear protection for concerts. And also the first episode we had him on, on building a sound system, a stereo system in today's modern world. I'd like to welcome Rob at Skylab Tapes on Twitter, back to the Hook Rocks to talk about more audio stuff, more music-related things and how we absorb music. It's always a pleasure to have him on. What is happening, Rob? Well, it is happening, Jay. It is a pleasure to be back on the show. I really appreciate it. Looking uh, Always something I look forward to. These quarterly episodes that uh, we do are so well-received. Uh, I remember having that conversation with you, like, I, I don't know how this is going to go over with people just because I don't yeah, know. I wasn't sure, <laughs> you know, what their taste for information like this is. And I think what really matters in this is that how well-versed you are, how well-researched you are, the information you're able to give people because there's value in it. Right. I mean, I know people who love music always have questions about the audio side of it, the listening side of it, how things sound. And you give great perspective and, and great information to people, which is why when I think you're on, everyone's like, oh, I got to listen to this episode because it may be something that I need to know or, or looking to do. So, again, always great content with you and, and happy to have you back on. Well, it's really heartwarming for me that there are so many people who seem to really actually care about the sound quality of the music that they're listening to, you know, in, in, you know, whatever aspect that takes, whether it's the playback system, uh, you know, that they're listening through, or as you said, when we talked about the different streaming services, or, you know, in this case, what we're going to talk about, which is the various physical formats and kind of where, you know, where they're all currently at in their, uh, in their life cycle, uh, and, and a bizarre set of life cycles. It is, I must say, <laughs> Yeah, you know, when you look at really the emergence of vinyl over the last decade, you look at the decrease in CD format over the last decade or so, uh, it's really picked up probably over the last half dozen years. And then this emergence, which is completely caught me off guard, which is the cassette. I know. <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, I mean, what, I, mean I remember converting from cassette to cd saying to myself thank god thank god it's over with this crap anymore (laughs) and here people are like if bands are selling these you know collectible cassettes and people are buying them it's like why do you want to listen to that the sound quality compared to vinyl and cd is terrible it really is. And it's, 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 it's the fact that there's actually new releases on cassette that's the most surprising to me, right? I mean, because that goes, that goes way beyond you know, one of the, one of the dynamics that was driving a little bit of the cassette revolution. So, so let's talk about the, the those three big physical formats, right? And, you know, a little bit of background on each, just briefly, if you'll allow me. Uh, and then, uh, and then, you know, we can talk about where, you know, where kind of each of them is and, you know, some of the, both software and hardware considerations of each, uh, and, uh, and then we'll go from there. 
And, and, you know, it's funny, you mentioned vinyl and its resurgence. Um, and that really is something, right? I mean, the vinyl dates back, Jay, to 1901. <laughs> wow. Um, the first 10-inch record was made in 1901, which is just, you know, when you think about how popular it is now, uh, again, uh, and, uh, you know, the sound quality that it's capable of, it really is, it really is amazing that it's that old. I mean, there were a lot of things that weren't around in, in much quantity in 1901, you know, like cars. <laughs> um, so it's a pretty, it's a pretty amazing thing. Um, the, you know, the, the, the format of vinyl that we all listen to now, the LP, uh, 12 inch LPs at 33 and a third RPM, uh, dates back to 1948. So even that has been around a considerable period of time. And of course it was mono at that point. Stereo didn't come in until the late fifties. Um, but it was, uh, you know, it, it, vinyl was the king of formats for a very, very long time. Uh, and, uh, you know, in the seventies, while there were some niche formats that people would buy music on, you know, eight track because it was something you could play in the car, uh, and reel to reel for the, you know, really crazy people, uh, of which I am one. Um, you know, vinyl was everything. Uh, you know, when you walked into any store, that's what you bought. Even stores that you wouldn't expect, you, you know, they, they, you could buy vinyl there. I mean, it was, it was everywhere. It was totally ubiquitous. And that was the music format. Uh, and then cassette came along first in the, it was actually first in the late sixties, a little bit. And then you know, the, you know, the real height of cassette reproduction didn't happen until, uh, you know, the late seventies. The thing about the only thing that cassette really had going for it was portability. Uh, and especially in terms of buying pre-recorded cassettes. I mean, the other thing that you could do with cassette is you could make your own tapes and lots of people did. Uh, and that's what cassette was invented for. And, and hilariously, it wasn't invented for music. Uh, you know, the format of cassette that was used for music reproduction was invented originally for speech dictation. <laughs> and that's it. Uh, which is way, way less demanding, uh, than music, than, than tape as a music carrier is. So it was kind of a flawed format for music to begin with, but there was, you know, there was a lot of demand for people to be able to take their music on the go. And, and, you know, how many, how many Sony Walkmans did you own, Jay? Probably quite a few, right? <laughs> yeah. I can l at least think of two or three. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I remember then the first one I bought, you know, wasn't even a Sony. That was for rich people. You know, I was, you know, I was in high school. So I, I it was some knockoff I bought at Radio Shack. Um, but that was the, you know, that and, and then, you know, playing cassettes in the car again were, uh, kind of the main drivers of people buying albums on cassette instead of vinyl. And that started to, that started to eat away at vinyl's share to an extent, but it was still, you know, vinyl was still the major physical music carrier. Um, and it's funny to talk about them as physical music carriers because, you know, in the, in, in all of the seventies and eighties and a significant chunk of the nineties, um, you know, that was the only way you listened to music except for the radio, <laughs> right? You listened on the, on the terrestrial radio or you bought it. Uh, and, you know, so it was only later that we had to come to refer to them as physical formats. I mean, they were just music formats. Um, so then CD comes out. Right. In, uh, in, in the early eighties, uh, slowly at first, but you know, it really decimated both vinyl and, uh, cassette sales. Um, it was especially damaging in some ways to the cassette, uh, because there were, you know, it was really just as portable, 
Uh, and there were CD Walkman uh, type products very quickly. And of course, they, you know, you could play them in your car and before long, you could play them on your computer uh, and all of that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, CD very rapidly became the primary music carrier and, you know, billions of them were produced. Uh, and then all of that started to change when uh, first the downloading of music files and then, of course, ultimately music streaming uh, became a thing. And now, you know, fast forward to 2021, looked at by revenue, 10% of music revenues uh, for new, new, new music purchases, of course, I'm talking about here, um, 10% are physical media, 90% are either digital files or streaming. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to go into this part in great detail because you've talked with Christian Eagle about this, uh, you know, the disastrous part of course is that that's, that's revenues to the record companies and the streaming services, not to the artists. Artists want to sell you shocker, vinyl, CD, or cassette because they make so much more money when they do, you know, and I know you buy a lot of physical uh, music and I also buy a lot of physical music and I will happily admit that some of the physical music I buy, I really do buy you know, more to support the artist than anything else. I mean, it's obviously music I like, right? But, uh, you know, that that is an impetus to buying it. So, you know, now we sit here in a situation where physical media are a niche, right? 10% of the market. It's not, and that's for all physical media combined. Um, so, you know, there, it is not as big a deal as it used to be. The The one thing that that totally leaves out, however, is the very robust market for used physical media. Um, and so when you read the statistics about the vinyl resurgence, and there is a significant vinyl resurgence, I mean, vinyl is, uh, you know, vinyl is the largest by revenue physical music format today. Um, but the amount of vinyl that's bought and sold on the used market, you know, whether we're talking about uh, you know, thrift stores, or we're talking about the, you know, organized online sellers like Discogs or even eBay. Um, you know, there's a massive, massive, uh, used market for really for all of the, uh, music formats, right? For cassette, uh, for vinyl and for CD. Um, and, uh, you know, there, that is continuing to actually grow, it seems, especially since, Cassette has become something that's interesting to people. And now, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's also, um, a big used market as well. So, you know, vinyl, when vinyl started to come back, um, a lot of the reason that it made a comeback as a physical format was really more at the expense of CD initially than, than people who were streaming. And it was because of sound quality. Now, CDs sound great. Um, but you know, there, and we talked about this on, I think the first show I was on there, you know, there is a sound quality aspect of vinyl that's undeniable. In addition to that, it's the, I mean, I'm a vinyl guy, right? But I mean, if I think for a lot of people, it's the most fun, uh, of the things to own, right? The album art works big. The liner notes are big. Uh, you know, it's, it's, if you're going to buy a physical format, it's kind of, it is kind of the big dog, both physically and otherwise of, of physical format. So if you're into, if you're into collecting music, in some ways, it's the most rewarding. Um, but, uh, vinyl's gotten expensive, right? Especially new vinyl. You know, there, there is a global, um, uh, there's a global production shortage for vinyl. So wait times for pressing vinyl at pressing plants for bands has gotten to be 
I mean, in some cases, close to a year, which means that they have to consider that when they decide, well, when am I going to release this album? You know, how far in advance can I send masters to the pressing plant? I mean, all of that kind of stuff. And then it's just gotten more expensive. I mean, single LPs now are selling often for almost 30 bucks. So that's not going to be for everybody. CD and cassette, relatively speaking, in the used market especially, but even new, are cheap, right? So CDs, brand new ones, uh, are usually more like 12 bucks. So, you know, now they're somewhere half to a third of what an album costs, of what a vinyl album costs. Um, cassette pricing is kind of all over the place for new ones. And there's still very, very few new titles released on cassette. Very few. Although, like you were saying, there, there are some, which is pretty amazing. Um, but you, buying used CDs or cassettes is still very, very cheap. And in fact, what, what drove the initial cassette revival, if you can call it that, was kind of this hipster move to cassettes and away from vinyl because you could still get gobs and gobs of music on cassette for incredibly cheap, which is where vinyl was, you know, 20, 25 years ago, right? You're going to garage sales and buying, you know, albums for a quarter. You know, now someone sets out a bunch of albums that are uh, vinyl albums at a garage sale and they want like five for 10 bucks each. Um, but, you know, cassettes, people are, you know, people are still basically giving them away. So, you know, very, very inexpensive, you know, flawed as they are sound quality wise. CDs, same thing. You know, use CDs. I was in, uh, uh, I go every now and then to Goodwill to, you know, purely to go record and CD hunting. <laughs> um, it's not the best place to do it, to be honest. Uh, for CDs, it's great because they're, they're super cheap. Uh, most of the LPs in Goodwill are unfortunately gar- literally garbage. Um, but every now and then you get something that, that's good. Um, but you know, CDs are 50 cents on the used market. Um, uh, you know, with very, very few exceptions of like crazy, crazy rare audiophile type titles. So, you know, that's still, you know, that's still a way to buy music, you know, very, very, very cheap. And that's why those two things have started to pick the used market, especially for CD and cassette have started to pick up versus where they were. I mean, there are, uh, one of the big record used record places, uh, right around where I live, Val's, Val's Holla Records, uh, has a lot more space dedicated to CD and even cassette than they used to. Um, you know, it's still much more vinyl than, than either of those, but, uh, but there's a lot of both of those available. So, you know, you have, a, you have this interesting dynamic of bands want to sell you physical formats because it's good for them, right? For sure. So that drives the new market for, uh, for physical media. And then you have this very robust, uh, used market for all three of the major formats and, you know, increasingly, uh, CD and, and cassette. Um, and, you know, there are, I mean, there's just a lot of music software out there for people to enjoy. Um, the thing of it is though, to enjoy it, you have to have something to play it on. Right. And that has its own interesting set of considerations these days. Um, again, oddly enough, the thing that's the easiest to buy is a turntable of all of the things that you have, all of the three big physical music formats, um, the largest selection of playback is with vinyl. You can buy turntables from a hundred bucks of forgetting about used ones, right? Brand new turntables. You can buy turntables from a hundred bucks, 
you know, to basically stratospheric audiophile prices, right? I mean, there's turntables that are literally hundreds of thousands of dollars. Not very many of them, but there are. Um, but it's very easy. I mean, and you could buy them anywhere. You could buy them at Amazon. You can buy them at, at record stores. I mean, it's, the, you know, any of the you know, Best Buy, whatever. I mean, there, you can buy turntables very easily. Cassette is the exact inverse. Um, there are very few cassette players being made. Um, and a lot of what you would see if you go to Amazon and look for cassette players are basically sort of the, the modern, uh, wannabe equivalent of a Sony Walkman, but very poor quality. Uh, I actually bought one not that long ago just to, just to see. Um, and uh, I mean, it sounds absolutely terrible. It's not even at that point, it's, it's the player and not even the cassette that's the limiting factor in terms of the sound quality. I, you know, but they're, you know, they're making a somewhat complex mechanical device and trying to sell it for 50 bucks. And, uh, you know, it just, it just really doesn't work that I'm, that I'm able to tell there are only a couple of manufacturers now left of halfway decent new cassette decks, uh, Marantz and Tiac. Um, and the Marantz is, and they're really actually designed more for the sort of odd studio use than they were for consumers. Uh, the Marantz deck runs about 160 bucks. It's not too bad. Uh, and the Tiac, which is definitely designed more for professional use is 600 bucks, which is kind of a lot. Um, so, and that they're not, they're not that easy to get. I mean, you're not just going to walk into a store and buy a cassette deck. So, uh, you know, but they can be, they can be purchased online. So if you're, if you're somebody who's thinking, wow, I have a lot of cassettes, but I haven't been able to play them, or I just think they're cool and I want to get into playing them, you know, it's not the playback part of it from an equipment perspective is not as easy. Now, you know, mountains J of cassette decks were made, uh, you know, back in the day, um, Unlike turntables, though, uh, cassette decks were pretty complicated and finicky electromechanical devices. And so a lot of them don't work. Um, and, you know, I, I had several that over time stopped working. And it's not, you know, it's not like you just sort of go and buy a new belt for the thing and you're fine. <laughs> it, it's, you know, they're, they're more expensive and complicated to repair. So there again, you can't just go to a garage sale and, you know, pay five bucks for a cassette deck and bring it home and be guaranteed that it's going to work ever. And it certainly may not work for all that long. So, you know, if you happen to be somebody who owns a cassette deck that's working, you know, good for you. Uh, and, you know, that may be an impetus for, you know, continuing to buy cassettes. And if you're somebody who, truly doesn't care about sound quality at all um you can buy the uh kind of cheap and cheerful little uh quasi portable jobs online um but it's the most problematic from a hardware perspective so on the one hand you have vinyl easy 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 to get lots and lots of different turntables uh, the uh, far end of the spectrum you have cassette not a lot of choice some of the choices aren't that good the used ones are kind of tough and then in the middle, you have CD. So also, interestingly enough, there's not a lot of CD players being made anymore, like just straight up CD players. Um, those kind of also went the way of the wild goose. Um, part of the reason for that is that you can play CDs in DVD or Blu-ray players. So if you're going to buy a Blu-ray player for your home, uh, for the vast majority of people, there is no reason to have a separate 
CD player as long as your Blu-ray player is somewhere where you can connect it to your stereo. And, uh, you know, that obviously still remains the case. If, you know, when people come to me on Twitter or wherever and ask, you know, I want to buy a, I need to buy a CD player. What should I buy? I almost always tell them to buy a Blu-ray player because there's no reason not to play CD is great. Um, the sound quality is going to be good. Then you can do more with it. So that's kind of the easy thing. Um, Used to be for quite some time, of course, that most computers came with uh, disk drives that would play CDs, but fewer and fewer these days actually do. You know, the the increasing demand for laptops to be smaller and lighter uh, and the increasing prevalence of laptops as the kind of computers people have and not desktop computers. You know, there are not all. And of course, the fact that most people are streaming music from their computer anyway and not playing CDs, uh, you know, there are not a lot of. Uh, there are not a lot of CD players in uh, computers anymore. So that's that, that, well, that used to be a very common way of playing them back. It's not as much uh, anymore. So there again, good news. is, And then there is a robust use market for CD players. Um, those devices are, you know, more complicated electromechanically than turntables, less so than CD, less so than cassette decks, uh, you know, probably more of them uh, working uh, and available to buy relatively cheaply than, uh, than cassette decks are. But, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of those I have a feeling ended up in landfills. There was less of a, you know, there was less of a nostalgic reason for people to keep CD players when they were sort of done with them. So doesn't it also I, have to do with the laser too, as well? I mean, the laser doesn't work after a certain amount of time. I mean, it, it can get misaligned. I mean, it, you know, the, the funny thing about, I don't know if you remember this, but the, the, the original billing for CD as a format was perfect sound forever. Mm-hmm. That's what, that's what, that's what Sony, uh, billed it as when they came out with it. And, uh, you know, Sony has been kind of traditionally terrible at marketing. And that was even for a company that's bad at marketing, that was probably the worst because, it, you know, it, there was nothing about it that was true. Um, their initial CDs, especially, you know, didn't really sound all that great. Um, and while they were billed as being ultra, ultra durable, they really weren't, you know, a couple of bad scratches on the back of a CD and it would skip. So, you know, here people thought they were buying things that they could just toss around the car and, you know, not in the case and didn't have to worry about it. And, uh, you know, and, and this was, you know, this was coming from a generation of people who had gotten irritated with the fact that every one of us had wrecked a, an album by scratching it, you know, accidentally a vinyl record. Um, and, so, and, and it just ended up that CDs were a lot more fragile than people thought. Right. I mean, you can't, you can't really break them, um, but you can render them not good uh, you know, if you don't treat them well, I mean, they essentially have to be treated the exact same way that, uh, that vinyl records do. You, you need to take them carefully out of the case, put it in the player. And then when it's over, take it out of the player and put it back in its protective case. And if you don't do that, you can, you know, you can have problems. So, and then yes, from the player perspective, you know, the lasers get misaligned if they're, if the machine is mishandled. I mean, they're, and, 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 you know, they can, and they can go bad. And, you know, then the thing is just toast, right? There's nothing, there's nothing really sensible to replace there. So, uh, so that's kind of, you know, that's kind of where that's at. So it's an interesting, you know, it's an interesting situation for all three of them. You know, now the biggest, the biggest, issue for vinyl is raging demand and high prices. <laughs> um, the biggest issue for 
uh, cassette is the sound quality, both of the cassettes and the players uh, and the availability of players is kind of suspect. Uh, and then you have CD where, um, you know, they're, you know, they're capable of being as good as they were the day, you know, they were, uh, they were originally purchased if they were taken care of well. Um, uh, and there are, you know, there are ways to play them back uh, fairly easily. I mean, Blu-ray players are cheap these days, right? So, I mean, that it's not, it's not ex- an expensive proposition, uh, to do, uh, by any means. If you're the, if you're the kind of person that doesn't own a turntable, um, and that has an interest in, in physical media and, you know, isn't, uh, isn't in love with the idea of, you know, larger vinyl records or playing a turntable, which of course I find just playing albums on a turntable, a fundamentally fun thing to do. But if you didn't grow up in that era and, era and you don't care, um, then in many ways, the easiest thing, if you want to get into buying used music, the easiest way to do it is CD cheapest easiest and cheapest way to do it is cd for sure so that's kind of where the you know that's kind of where all of these physical uh uh formats lie today uh and you know where you know where the markets are there you know there i think the um you know all of them are probably going to continue to see some degree of growth and comeback it's interesting the just new because they don't nobody tracks the used stuff and it would be hard to do so but revenue from, while it's still small, like we talked about, it's only 10% of the market, but revenue from physical media in 2021 was almost double what it was in 2020. Isn't that interesting? It's, uh, it, was it is interesting. In, in just the U.S., $690 million in the U.S. In, in, in the first half, so comparing first half of 2021 to first half of 2020, Using the statistics from the RIAA, the Record Industry Association of America, so this is just U.S. sales, six hundred ninety million in in the six month first six months of twenty twenty one versus three hundred ninety three million in the first six months of twenty twenty, uh, and you know both CD and vinyl grew. Vinyl grew much more, um, uh, but both CD and vinyl grew uh, in uh, in just new music, uh, just sales from new music albums. So they are. I think you're. I, I, I think there's no question that we're seeing renewed interest already in physical media. Man, the numbers bear it out, right? And we are seeing renewed interest in physical music purchases. Uh, you know, people just wanting, you know, wanting to own the physical product for all of the, you know, all of the reasons, the fun of looking at it, the fun of playing it. Um, and, uh, and, uh, you know, that is, and then as we talked about the fact that bands would really like to sell them, uh, you know, all of those things are, you know, kind of driving a bit of a resurgence of physical formats generally and, and of each of the three kinds. When you think of the three formats that we're talking about, obviously cassette and for the most part, vinyl is used as more of a memorabilia collectible type of purchase, right? You know, obviously there's turn people do listen to vinyl, there's turntables, cassettes you know i don't know how you can make a cassette sound better than it did in 1986 on my sony dual cassette boombox um yeah you can't <laughs> yeah obviously there's things too with vinyl that you can make the sound quality better um but but for the most part when you think of the colored vinyls that artists do you know release with pre-orders and you know it's not just the simple black vinyl as it was back in the day uh there's different colors there's different covers yep. for different albums and different styles so it is a collectible 
that people enjoy purchasing. Why no hasn't CD followed suit? Why hasn't there been pre-orders with CDs with different colors or different covers? Or think about what Tool did a couple of years ago mm-hmm. when they released their album. You know, they had this, uh, I forget this contraption or whatever that it was released in. Think about the Pink Floyd. I think it was what? Echoes? Was it? Did yeah. They had like the, 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 the red light flickering on it. Oh, Pulse. Or? Pulse. Pulse. Yeah. yeah Pulse. It was, it was on the live set Pulse. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. why isn't there more of that to attract more people to buy them? I mean, obviously there's an expense to it. And most bands that do release CDs now, I wouldn't say most, probably about 50% of them. It's just the sleeve and a CD at this point, right. you know, yeah, why isn't there a push for that? You know, it's interesting. It, it's, a, it's a very good question. You are seeing some, uh, I think there, it, it just seems to me, and this is just anecdotal, but right, but it seems to me that there are more kind of, I think they're called earbook, right? But the sort of larger format booklet for deluxe box sets for CD, right? That, I mean, part of the thing that made, I think, collecting CDs sort of not fun is just how small the damn things were. Right. I mean, you can't really enjoy the album art. You can't read the liner notes. Uh, I mean, there, there, it was, it just wasn't a good, there's nothing sexy about CD as a format. Well, like, I think of the, I think of the Iron Maiden Book of Souls, like, right? I think of the Iron Maiden Book of Souls album that they released, right? And that special edition where it was like a book. Exactly. You know, like, yep. why isn't that? That's more the way to that? do it. Yeah, that why there isn't more of that, I don't know. But that is the thing that I think you're starting to see a little more of, right? I mean, there, um, the new uh, the new Jethro Tull album, for example, uh, you know, came out both as a uh, there was a you know deluxe edition with additional content, like some live stuff and demos and whatever, which is very typical uh, on vinyl, and then also uh, you know a uh, you know I think it was you know ten inch, not twelve inch, but a ten inch book style format with all of that same kind of you know rich printed material content and then you know the thing in the back where the actual cds go so to me for bands i mean that you know that's the way to do it i totally agree with you if you want to sell premium products that are cd based to your point you can't just slip them in a little sleeve right i mean the max the max people are going to pay for that's like 10 bucks Mm -hmm. um so uh, you know but if you're you know if you're already going through the expense of a bunch of fancy printed material for a vinyl version or whatever, uh, especially if you're somebody like Iron Maiden or Jethro Tull, you're crazy, in my opinion, not to make both a CD deluxe version as well as a vinyl deluxe version. I, I absolutely agree. But then, you, you know, the, you got to make the you got to make the sort of physically larger, just like you were describing, the physically larger, uh, you know, product so that you know, people can really sit and enjoy the thing because that's what appeals to collectors and that's what gets them to part with a little bit more of their money. I think about the, the new bands that come out and a lot of them obviously put their music on streaming services and then they have this push for vinyl and then they release this, you know, CD sleeve with the CD in it. And, you know, they're, they're all worried about making money, of course, because they're a new band. They don't have the, the capital behind them to, to, uh, you know, to, to, to really do a lot of different things. But if they did a pre-order, you know, if Dirty Honey or if Dorothy, who has a new album coming out, does a pre-order of 500 
limited edition CDs in like that book style format that Maiden did or something special about it and charge 75 to a hundred bucks for it, or even 50 bucks for it. I mean, yep. if you, you're, you're, you're talking 25 grand up to 50 grand for yourself just by doing that. And people will buy that because it's collectible. Or if you run, if you don't sell the CD online and you only sell the collectible CD at your tour, right? Right. And you only yep. have, and you only have a hundred or let's say 50 per show, you know, and or 20 or 30 or whatever the number is, and you sell them at a premium price. I know I will buy that. I will go to that show. I will bring a hundred bucks to get that limited edition CD only sold on tour. That's numbered and everything. Boom. You've got yourself money. You're going to make your money back tenfold doing that. Absolutely. And I think I, I, I think more bands should be doing that. And I think they need to think about doing that, especially in the current environment where, uh, you know, these wait times for vinyl pressings are so long. Right. right? I mean, I, you know, it pain as a vinyl guy, right. It pains me to say that. Um, but, uh, but I do think it's true. I mean, if you think about it more from a band's perspective, you know, I certainly, I certainly hope that they'll continue to do both. Um, but you know, they're to, to just release, you know, a very plain Jane, exactly as you were saying, just to release a very plain Jane CD digipack and then, you know, a super deluxe vinyl and not think about, um, you know, also doing a, uh, you know, a deluxe edition CD version. You know, I think that that's, uh, I think that that's an opportunity lost and a lot of bands should think about that. You know, the other thing is a lot of, a lot of smaller bands have been, um, uh, doing, you know, Kickstarter type deals in order to raise money to do the physical releases, right? Which is really just another way of, of doing a pre-order to a certain extent, right? I mean, it, it, you're, 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 to, you're, they're wanting to make sure they have enough interest before they actually slap down money to produce the thing. Um, but I, I mean, I think more bands should be doing that and include as the options there a deluxe edition, uh, vinyl and a deluxe edition CD booklet because you know, uh, in advance what people are, are, uh, are paying for. It's the great kind of Kickstarter because you're actually, all you're really doing is pre-ordering, right? As a, as a consumer. A great way to pre-order, right? You have your pre-order yep. limited vinyls. You know, you've got, let, let's talk about, let's just talk about Goodbye June who at the time yep. of this recording has an album coming out uh, tomorrow. So they've got the regular yeah, black vinyl, vinyl. on the way. <laughs> yeah. They, they've got the regular black. They got the blue. They got the white. They got the red. And I think that's it. Do they have, I don't know if they have a green, but I know they've got red, white, blue, and black, right? Yep. And they've got just the regular CD. So if a band were to take that um, and say, okay, the black vinyl is going to have the regular cover, okay, at regular price. And then each colored vinyl has a different cover. And you charge 15 bucks more for each cover, right? Or whatever, the five bucks more because you're charging more because it's blue, red, or white. And then with the CD... You have the you have like the book format, which you know in the CD it has three different colored CDs, and it has the pre-ordered number, right? So it's so if you're only doing 500, it's ordered, you know, it's numbered one through 500, and you've got behind the scenes studio stuff in the CD, right? Yeah. And then you go on tour and you sell only 
ones that are at Taurus. So you get 20 per show, 15 per show that you sell. They're all numbered and they all have a different cover and a different color. And boom. I mean, you can make a killing doing that because people For will sure. buy that stuff. They, they, they absolutely will. And I, I, you know, I think that, uh, you know, I think that that that's going to, I think bands are going to need to do more of that kind of thing, especially since, you know, the thing, the things that traditionally made bands the most money, of course, was t-shirts, right? Cause mm-hmm. you can produce them so cheap and sell them for 30 bucks or 25 bucks or whatever. But, you know, with, with touring, you know, just starting to become a reality again for a lot of bands, you know, they're, you know, they needed to think about actually selling their music in physical formats and as many is in as many ways as possible, which to your point is what's driven the, you know, the sort of crazy market for, you know, multiple different vinyl colored variants. Um, and I think that I, I think that they're, you know, with again, with the pressing plants backed up the way that they are, people need to be thinking about ways to give consumers fun CD based content and, you know, the, you know, booklets, different booklets with different options is a really great way of doing that. And, and you know, as you also said at the beginning, there's some bands that are starting to use cassette as the way to do that. I don't even mean there are obviously some cassette duplicating plants somewhere. <laughs> I yeah. don't know where, um, but there obviously must be some because people are getting, you know, bands are getting made. Um, I don't know about you, but whenever I see a band selling a cassette, I, I get, I cringe. <laughs> it's oh, like, me too. It's like, I did, we, for sure. It's like, please tell me we've moved past this and we're it's not going like- backwards. It's like literally I look at a cassette and I just, my mind immediately says, wow, that's going to sound bad. Yes. <laughs> it's, and, 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 uh, you know, the, the, when back in the day when cassette was massive, you know, you at least had these plants really focused on making as high a quality cassette as they possibly could. And you had some interesting things happening technologically to try to do that, like the use of fancy tape, like chrome oxide and, and, and all of that, in some cases, all of that kind of stuff. You know, now, I mean, it's a, it's a miracle if these things, you know, are actually reproduced even remotely correctly at the right speed. Um, you know, much less, you know, in some way that's going to have them sound really good. I, you know, there was a, there was a box that I bought last year, uh, Stephen Wilson's album, The Future Bites, the deluxe edition came with, you know, and this is also a kind of common thing, right? So the deluxe edition of his box set came with everything, right? It came with, it came with vinyl, it came with CDs, and there was also, uh, not with all of the content, but there was also in addition, a cassette that had some demos on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, you know, they're just the, the, the difference in the sound. I mean, yes, they were demos, but I mean, even still, the, they, those were those demos were, uh, you know, they would have sounded much better if they weren't on cassette. Now, you know, he was he was doing that because uh, of the intrigue that cassette has. But, you know, if you th- if you if you want it to sound good, that that is not the way. Yeah. Yeah. And then to pour money into that. Um, yeah, I, I mean, maybe we're wrong. Maybe there is a lucrative, you know, uh, amount of money to be made by having cassette. But I would think that if you pour your money in vinyl special editions and CD special editions, I think the bang for your buck would be way much more. You know, I mean, you've got your you got your it two to four to T-shirts that you sell. You've got the vinyl. You've got the, the the CDs. You've got different covers and all that stuff. And different ways of, of, of getting it out to the fans. And then you have like your, you know, your magnets and your stickers and stuff. 
I mean, those are, those are cheap, but I think, yeah, I, I just don't know why more bands don't do that because, you know, for a band that just released a vinyl and then to have that CD only at shows, right. And limit yep. one per person. Okay. So someone can't just go buy all 15 and then sell them, you know, online. So limit one per person and people would buy tickets just to go. I would buy a ticket just to go. Oh, I can get that seated. I got definitely got to go to that show. Yeah. I, I, you know, I think it's a, well, and, and, you know, with, with shows having some trouble kind of getting back in gear in terms of attendance, um, you know, that's also not a bad idea. I mean, to, to create additional reasons for people to, you know, spend the money and come out and see concerts, um, uh, is, uh, you know, I mean, bands should be doing everything that they can possibly think of like that in order to make that happen. Because it, it's clear that they're, it's clear to me having gone to some shows and I, you know, I'm going to three concerts over the cup of, over the upcoming weekend. Um, a, uh, an odd scheduling issue because of, uh, a couple of rescheduled shows. Um, uh, and, you know, I went online to look and we'll see how it looks after the shows are over. But from what I could tell, uh, all three of those shows are about 50% sold. Mm. So, you know, they're, so, you know, anything, you know, I, I do think some people are still a little hesitant to go to, you know, settings with lots and lots of people. So, uh, you know, anything that, uh, uh, anything that, you know, bands will, the bands can do to help their fans have the maximum bang for the buck, uh, and, you know, just any kind of, uh, exclusive physical media product is another great way of doing that. In addition to just the t-shirt. I agree. You know, for my, in my sense or, or my opinion, cassette is relied solely on the, the quality of sound that a cassette can produce is solely relied upon the speakers that of which the sound comes out of it. Whereas, you know, the, the quality of sound for vinyl and CD are in the actual hardware. They're in the actual product. Um, how has vinyl gotten better over the years with the sound? But, you know, people always think of those, those snaps and those crackles on a vinyl. How has it, how has it gotten better over the years? Yeah, it's, it, it, it's such a funny thing because in the, in the late nineties and, and early part of the two thousands, the only, the only group keeping vinyl alive were actually audiophiles. Right. They, it was people who cared about sound quality the most. Um, and the, you know, the albums that were getting pressed at that, you know, in that, at that time were being pressed on, you know, higher quality vinyl and were designed to appeal to audiophiles. So they were carefully mastered and, and, you know, all of that, all of that kind of stuff. You know, now that there's been this huge surge in, uh, demand for vinyl that's not really being driven by people who are interested in the sound, but are interested in kind of the overall experience of vinyl, uh, and all of the things that we were talking about a, a few minutes ago. Um, uh, you know, there, there, there's more vinyl that doesn't sound quite as good, um, as uh, it possibly could, right? I mean, there are some pressing, some pressing plants are definitely better than others. Um, you know, I've certainly gotten some vinyl that, uh, you know, that doesn't sound um, that doesn't sound as good as it could. The pressing's noisy or whatever. Um, but I do think that overall, um, you know, there have been, uh, you know, there's been 
enough things were done in the period in which audiophiles were the ones that cared most about vinyl, that some of those things have carried over. Uh, and so, uh, you know, there are, and there are certainly, I mean, there are certainly records that are pressed now that sound absolutely spectacular. So, uh, you know, they're, um, uh, you know, it's, it's a mixed bag, I guess is the answer to your question there. You know, there's, there's some, there's some vinyl that's released now that's not so great, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, there, there also, there've been some colossal mess ups lately um, where, you know, pressing plants who were under the gun and in a hurry uh, sent out albums that were, that had flaws, I mean, flat out problems. Um, unfortunately, there was a, there's a Blackberry Smoke album that was released on record store day that, that there's an issue with every single yeah, comment, right? Yeah. The pressing plant just pressed. Yeah. The pressing plant just pressed the wrong. And so, you know, it's a nightmare for a band, obviously. Happily, that kind of thing is rare, right? There it's, you know, that those problems are kind of few and far between. And it's not really an issue for a consumer. Uh, it's more, you know, it can be an issue for, you know, for the band and for the pressing plant itself. Um, but there, you know, one, one, one very interesting thing for a long time, there was this audiophile myth, um, that colored vinyl didn't sound as good as black vinyl. Um, and the, uh, and that was just, I don't know what started that myth, but it, it, just to debunk it, it's flat wrong. (laughs) Um, their black vinyl is also actually color vinyl. It's just the color is black. (laughs) Um, vinyl does not exist black in its natural state. So, you know, any vinyl that you buy is, you know, is any vinyl LP that you buy is, has some kind of dye in it, right? To make it a color. Um, and, uh, and, you know, if it's red or blue or green or purple, um, that's not really relevant to the sound quality. Where is all this going, right? I mean, we're 2022 in two years, five years, 10 years, where are these formats headed? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, there, I think, I think that the, I think from a physical media perspective, the, the format that's going to continue to have the most growth um, is going to be vinyl. I, you know, I think there are, there, there are barriers in front of CD, many of which you mentioned, right? You know, it just doesn't, it's just not as much fun to collect them in the way that it has, uh, that it's been presented to consumers so far. Um, and I, and, you know, with cassette, I just can't imagine that we're going to see the kind of ramp up of cassette duplication plants like we have of vinyl duplication plants. Um, although, and, and, you know, again, the sound quality is by, by, you know, technological limitation of the format, um, inferior to either of the other two. So you're not ever going to, you're not ever going to appeal to anybody except people who are interested in, in the more purely as collectibles. And it's never, there's never going to be a sound quality play possible there. Um, audio files were, sh- you know, have shunned cassette in its entire existence. So I, you know, I think vinyl will continue to grow. I think, you know, I think that there eventually the production problems, uh, in terms of when I say problems, I mean, capacity constraints, right? The production capacity constraints that you're seeing now in the vinyl business will, you know, will get alleviated. Uh, and, you know, you'll start to see, you know, more vinyl being produced. Um, uh, and, and I think that will continue to grow. The, you know, the real question is with 90% of the market being with 85% of the market being streaming, and the other 5% being the purchasing of digital downloads, right? So 90% of it's not physical media. Uh, you know, where is that in its, in, in, in its market share 
uh, life cycle, right? Have, are we seeing today the peak? Um, uh, is it, uh, you know, is there going to be, you know, there, there have been some very high profile, uh, weirdness in the streaming business lately, uh, as you've undoubtedly seen with certain artists deciding they don't want their music on certain platforms. And what that does to consumers is that they have that kind of, oh crap moment, right? Like, you know, it was all well and good. And when I had this in the back of my mind that every music I ever wanted to listen to is on my streaming service that I pay for, right? You know, if that doubt is put in people's minds, um, because, you know, there are a lot of people I don't think stop to think about the fact that they don't own that music. They're just renting it when they play it. Right. And, uh, you know, it, 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 I think that there is a not insignificant chance that streaming has actually peaked in terms of its market share um of 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 uh of the music business it's revenue market share of the music business well that's and why they're going after more of the royalties yeah that's right yeah that's that, that that's exactly right so you know with with the backlash from artists you know both you know because of how crappy it pays the artists and you know other things uh and with the you know actual musicians desire to sell physical media you know combined with what's been a clearly renewed interest um, in consumers owning physical music media, um, I, I think that the I think that the you know the trend that we saw in 2021 of uh, increased sales of physical music media is only going to continue. And some of the ideas that you know you were just mentioning of you know bands leveraging that at shows, you know all of that kind of stuff, I, you know I don't I, I mean it's ever going to be the dominant revenue share of the music business any, uh, again. But I actually think that it's going, you know, there will be multiple years of growth um, for physical media. What's interesting about this whole situation with Spotify and the Neil Young and the political cloud that's over it yep. is take the political business out of it, right? Like just let's, let's just say artists start to pull their music from streaming platforms, not because of what the streaming platform has on other areas of the, of, of its platform, but just because they're paying like crap. So yeah. if, you know, artists like Neil Young and Beyonce and Jay-Z and the Eagles and whoever, right? You know, the, the, the artists that, that make actual money because they get, they get, the, you know, I, I shouldn't say actual. I mean, they make money, but not as much as they used to. If a large contingent of these artists pulled their music from all streaming platforms and they all like kind of banded together similar to like a union and said, all right, whoever gives us the best rate and whoever gives us the, the, the young artists, emerging artists, the best rate, we will put our music exclusively on your streaming platform, provided that you keep the prices either the same or equal to what you're paying out. You know, one of the, one of the conversations that we've had offline, you know, is how much these streaming services cost, 799, 99, $12.99. And you think of what you pay for cable and you think of what you pay for, (laughs) for other, you know, for, you know, for other forms of entertainment, going to a movie, for instance, it's what, you know, anywhere, depending on what time of day you go, it's 12 to 20 bucks. Right. So, so why isn't, you know, a streaming service twenty five dollars 
a month or $30 a month. Or if you want access to these bands, it's this much. I mean, you know, the fact that they're not paying the artist a lot of money, they're afraid to charge more for the consumer. The consumer has proven in the past with cell phones, with TVs, that they will pay money for the better quality of service or access to things. They have proven that, right? I mean, we think, no question. I mean, when you go back and look at the history of cell phones, Motorola, I think at one point had 83% of the market share in the mid nineties. Okay. And they made a conscious decision to stay in analog because they thought the consumer wanted the cheaper product. When Nokia invested all their money in digital, and we know what happened. Motorola's market market share fell. It never was able to get it back. And I don't even think they make a cell phone anymore. No, yeah. And and so so it goes to that point. Same thing with TVs. You know, everybody owns a flat screen digital TV now, right? Everybody, you know, no one wants the 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 big tube screen TV. So yeah, and people were willing to pay. Yep. So, so, so if you make your streaming service sound quality top notch and you have tiers where you get the $9.99 and you get the $15.99, you get the $30.99. $30.99 gives you the best quality, the best, the access to most artists. I guarantee you the majority of people will buy that top tier. Yeah. I mean, look, vinyl basically proves that to be true, right? I mean, the, 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 you know, the, the, the fastest. The fastest growing physical media package is the most expensive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so people will definitely, I mean, they will definitely pay for what they want. And, uh, you know, look, I think, and uh, I mean, we have had in, uh, in our, you know, in our little group, a bunch of discussions about this. I think that the streaming business is going to be in for a massive shakeup. And when you, and, uh, you know, the Neil Young thing was sort of the, you know, the tip of the iceberg. And there's going to be more of that kind of thing for all kinds of reasons. And, and I, you know, I'm a believer that what's going to happen is that, you know, the people who are really into music are, are going to have, you know, but, but who have said, Oh, I'm just going to stream it from now on are going to have, you know, that, that moment of clarity where they realize that they cannot count on streaming, right? Um, because people over the past few years, they've gotten into their minds that they can count on streaming to give them access to anything they want to listen to without it really being problematic. And, you know, at the moment, they're essentially right. Um, but, you know, they're, but if that starts to become in doubt, um, that's just going to add fuel to the fire of people who want to go back to the idea of, look, I'm, I'm buying this album and I'm going to own it so that I can play it whenever I want, however I want. And I don't have to worry about, you know, what my, you know, what my streaming provider is up to, uh, and, you know, who's on it and who's not and, and all of that kind of thing. Um, you know, every now and then, uh, every now and then I, uh, I laugh my evil laugh that I can easily listen to music for the entire rest of my life, even if there was no internet. <laughs> um, and we're obviously never going to have that problem. Uh, but, uh, you know, but there, you know, there are, there are reasons why I think people are going to start questioning whether, um, they can really count on streaming services to be the only way that they get music. Yeah, I agree. I think that. They are in for a shakeup. And once yep. these artists realize that they have the power, okay? Yeah. Things exactly. will change. They have the power. The streaming exactly. services may, may make you think they have the power or the record companies do. 
if you just say, if you're releasing a new album and you say, I'm not putting it on any streaming service until I get this dollar amount per stream, no matter if they stop listening at 10 seconds, 30 seconds, two minutes, whatever, this is what it's going to be. I think if one artist does it, just takes one, it'll shake up the whole industry. And I don't know, I don't know why people are afraid to do that or artists are afraid to do that. You know, I I don't, I don't either. You know, the, 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 the company that to me has the really the ultimate, um, model is Bandcamp. Right. right. I mean, you know, because, because yes, you can listen to it, right. You can stream it and listen to it. It's, you know, it's not in the best quality that you can possibly get. It sounds good enough to sample it. Right. Um, but you know, that, you know, but that Bandcamp's whole, uh, structure is based around the idea that artists are going to sell their music one way or another. Right. They're going to sell it as downloads. They're going to sell CDs. They're going to sell vinyl, all of the above, even T-shirts. Right. I mean, you can, you know, you can do it all from your artist band camp site. And, you know, I mean, as just, just, you know, from purely a consumer perspective for me, uh, you know, I wish every band had a band camp site. Right. Because it, you know, I, I, it's, it's a bummer to use a streaming service to sample music and then go some, go, you know, hunting around somewhere else without, you know, any guidance to figure out where you're going to buy the physical version. Um, so, you know, I'm always excited when I see Bandcamp links and I think that they're, you know, they're, they're doing it in a way that, that, uh, you know, that I wish everybody did. I'm waiting for the platform to develop where you can access movies and, and visual content as well as audio content, you know, like, where you can watch a movie like you do on Netflix and you can take that same app and you can go in the music side and bring it in your car and listen to audio and have charged people 125 bucks a month. And I guarantee you people will pay for it. The hilarious thing to me is that YouTube essentially has the capability of doing that, except that they don't, that I know of, they don't combine plans, right? So there's YouTube music and there's YouTube TV yeah. And, uh, you know, unless I'm mistaken, I don't think you get YouTube music by subscribing to YouTube TV. So, uh, you know, and I, I haven't ever seen that they have one that covers all of it. But you're right, Plus the quality of sound on YouTube is oh, bad. Yeah. 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 I mean, if they're going to charge people for that type of platform, they need to really up their they game. They need to do it better. Of, yeah. Yep. Um, but it's, in, it's yep. an interesting outlook because, you know, things do change. Things are constantly evolving in this audio world, in this audio quality world and how people absorb things. And in 10 years, what's it going to be? And where are we going to be at? I still think that if, if they poured money into the quality of sound and they paid their artists, you know, what they would get normally on radio, how much would an artist get per play on a radio? Was it like, I forget what the, what the dollar amount was. I, gotta look yeah, I don't up. know. Yeah. It, it, it wasn't, I don't think that, I don't think that it was great. Um, but you know, the, because it was, the, but the expectation back, you know, back in the day when, you know, radio was really the king, yeah. you know, was that that was going to cause people to listen to it on the radio and then jump out and buy the album. Right. So, you know, they didn't, yeah. you know, they're, they were paying royalties because I worked in a radio station and I remember it had to be tracked. Right. Um, so they were, you know, they were definitely paying royalties to uh you know to the record companies and artists when they played records but 
Um, you know, it was, uh, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think it was, I don't, I don't think it was a ton, a ton. I just wonder, and I, and I question what will happen if the courts do rule in favor of the current proposal for royalty amounts by the streaming services, which is the lowest in history. If the courts rule in favor, because what's going to happen, in my opinion, to kind of veer off a little bit to my point, is they know they're not going to get it. But what they're trying to do is a middle ground. The middle ground is still going to be lower than what it is now. Okay. And yep. it's still going to be the lowest royalty rate. So they're going so low where if they meet in the middle, they're still making out low. But what are the artists going to do? And what are the artists going to keep doing with the blood, sweat, and tears that they pour into writing and creating music that basically then is an afterthought background music sold for virtually nothing? And you've got to go out and tour You've got to charge people an extraordinary amount of tickets or ticket prices, merchandise. I mean, now remember when, I mean, t- t- uh, uh, merchandise shirts are now like 40 bucks. Yeah, know? that's true. I mean, and, and when's true. it going to be 50 and, and, and all this stuff, yeah. everything keeps going up. The consumer gets squeezed. When is the artist, when are the artists going to say, putting a call to this artist, this artist, that artist, whatever, and say, you know what? I'm pulling my stuff off every platform. Because I've got a new album coming out in six months. All my music's coming off every platform, and I'm becoming a free agent. Okay? I'm becoming Chris Bryant, Bryce Harper, whatever baseball free agent or basketball free agent you can think of, football. And I want someone to tell me how much they're going to pay me to have my stuff on there. And I'm also going to negotiate for the young artists that are coming up instead of them getting less than a third of a penny. Okay. Yep. What are these, what these new artists and then, and whatever platform does that for me, that's where I'm going at. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I, you know, obviously what, what I think, what I think, and I, I, there have been a couple examples of this, but it needs to become more widespread. We need some big artists to release some major titles that are physical product only, mm-hmm. right. That they don't allow on the streaming services. Um, and, uh, you know, there, and, and that you can, you know, you could, and uh, you could buy affordably on CD and vinyl, but that, you know, but that that's the only way. And it has to be somebody, you know, with some gravitas, but you get a few of those. Um, and, you know, that can, you know, that can serve to help the whole, um, picture for musicians because, I mean, again, it's just, it's got to change. I mean, there, uh, you know, there are, there are zillion reasons why the current model is, not sustainable in a, in a lot of different ways, um, the current streaming model. And so I, you know, I, and, and a lot of those ways I think will benefit what's already this resurgent market for, you know, actual physical music products. Yeah, I, uh, I agree. It's only going to take a handful of big artists, you know, I mean, could you yep. imagine when, when ACDC released power up and they said, we're pulling all our music off of every streaming platform. And we're only going to go exclusively with a platform that pays us this and does all the things we want for streaming services. Or you all could do the same amount of money, and this is the bare minimum, who's going to do it? And I guarantee you every one of them would fold like a a stack of cards. They all would. Of course. course ACDC? I mean, come on. You know? Yeah. 
but but yeah. only if they make it better for the artists that are coming after them, right? Right. That's the most important thing. Yep, I agree. So, well, hey, man, it's been a great conversation. Uh, that, you know, it kind of veered off in a, a little bit of a different direction, but it was still great nonetheless. It's always great whenever you're on, Rob. I do appreciate it. Hey, it is always a pleasure, Jay. And uh, hopefully uh, everybody who listened to this, you know, go out and buy some uh, some LPs or CDs or even cassettes and enjoy. <laughs> and And for any young emerging band or any band in general listening to this, there's ways to make more money. You just got to listen to yeah. myself and Rob. <laughs> yeah. And put out physical product. Yes. Always. Always physical always. over streaming. Always. Yep. All right, everybody. That's Rob at Skylab Tapes. You can follow him on Twitter. He's very knowledgeable on all this stuff. Check out all the great episodes that we've done over the last half year, over the last six months. Uh, the first one, how to build a modern day stereo system. Second, uh, episode we did was the best quality streaming site. And also as well, uh, the last one we did before Christmas ear protection. And then now this one vinyl cassette CD, the differences between the format, the quality and where they're all headed. So thanks again to him. Thank you all for listening. I'm Jay Scott. This is the hook rocks. We'll talk soon. Take care. Something's at the edge of your mind. You don't know what it is. Something you were hoping to find. You're not sure what it is. Then you hear the music and it all comes crystal clear. The music does the talking and says the things you want to hear. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. 
and why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 